Well, good morning, Grace Rancho. It is good to be back. Um, we were gone a little bit. Uh, we missed last Sunday. Uh, thankful that Michael filled the pulpit and preached the word, and that we have men that love to preach the word, and that the church was fed, and that I can be confident that when I'm away, the word will be taught, and that the church will be edified by the word of God. So, all that to say, thankful for our church, and I missed you. Um, we couldn't go to a service when we were up in Mammoth last Sunday because all the churches are closed. Uh, normally on vacation, we'd like to find some random church where we are, and uh, obviously nothing's open. We had no reception, and so we couldn't live stream anything, and so we uh, tried to do a little uh, worship as a family. Um, it's been nice to, to get away. The, we were gone for about 10 days. Uh, so I was talking to some of you, you've been on vacation and you had a similar experience. You go away, and for us, particularly up in Mammoth, the place where we're at, we had really no reception, uh, no contact. Phones were down, social media off, no access to the news feed and the news cycle. Didn't really see what was going on. Let me tell you, it was nice. It was nice. All the craziness of the world, you kind of tuned out for a little bit. And we're able to just kind of be together as a, as a family, enjoy God's beautiful creation. Um, I, I was told that campsites right now are, are more full than usual because everyone's trying to do that. It's trying to get out and can't do much down here. And so you get out into the wilderness and you can actually uh, enjoy hikes and enjoy the creation and, and the rivers and the lakes that God's made. And so a lot of people are out camping these days. Um, I admit it was nice. Uh, I've been thinking about it, though. I, I don't think that it's something that we ought to do all the time. That is, to always tune out and turn off the world and bury our heads in the sand. And It's nice for a season, right? That, that's part of what vacation is. It's, it's getting away from the normal routine. It's getting away from all the alarms and the beeps and the buzzes that encroach upon our life and we get away and we're silent and we rest and we enjoy some leisure time. That's, that's really good to have from time to time, but I, I'm not sure that that's the way we ought to live as Christians all the time. I, I don't think that Christians ought to be the type of people who bury their heads in the sand and tune out the world as tempting as it is right now uh, to just kind of ignore all the issues of the world. I don't think that's the way that God intends Christians to live. In fact, we've been going through the Psalms, right? And one of the things you've noticed about the Psalms is that the psalmist, whoever it is that's writing that psalm, is brutally honest about some of the difficult things going on. He's facing them. Uh, he's not ignoring them. He's not acting as if everything's good and fine and dandy and life is great and all that. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about the muck of life. And Psalms, the Psalms help us know how to process the muck of life. The hermits and the monks, I think, got it wrong. Christians ought to be able to face reality, face darkness, face the sin in the world, the brokenness of the world, and ought to be able to process it in a way that we don't end up becoming numb, calloused, or totally cynical. I mean, that's a temptation, isn't it? 
uh, with all the stuff going on in the world, you, you just kind of start to become numb. It's like you've seen it a hundred times and now you're kind of immune to it. Nothing affects you anymore. The tragedies on the news are almost more amusements than they are tragedies. It's something you see on your phone. You, you see what's going on and you put your phone back in your pocket. It doesn't really affect you much. Uh, we can become cynical. We can grow cold. Uh, we, we're, we're hearing all the different things going on and we just don't want to hear it anymore. And so we grow to be a little bit uh, indifferent, cynical. Here's what the Psalms do, and particularly Psalm 10. I'm going to invite you to turn right now in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 10. What the Psalms help us do is face reality in all its darkness, in all its brokenness, in all its sin and wickedness, and gives us a way to process it without becoming so callous that we don't care, so numb that we're indifferent, and cynical that we, so cynical that we have nothing to offer to the world. How can we face this world that we're in with hope? How, how do we still remain vibrant in hope in a world that it seems to be so hopeless? Uh, is it possible, church, to rejoice in the midst of trauma, national trauma, personal trauma? How do we process these things? Uh, I hope you're there in Psalm 10 because God's word is always true, infallible, sufficient for us. And this particular text gives us what we need. Psalm 10 is written to give a, a perspective, a comforting kind of perspective for those of us who are unsettled and discouraged by the wickedness and the injustice in the world around us. Uh, this is something we need and we need today. We need this psalm, and let me just say this. It's going to sound like you might read through Psalm 10, and you might say to yourself, well, I'm not oppressed. I'm not facing bad treatment. I'm not the one being abused, mistreated, violated. That's really what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 10. Let me tell you this. If you want to be a Christian who can help other Christians, you want to put Psalm 10 in your arsenal. If you want to have something that can help someone who's been abused, if you want to have a word to say to someone who's been mistreated, if you want to have some counsel to offer someone who has been oppressed, uh, exploited, you need Psalm 10. Now, this isn't just one of those things where you go, oh, wow, this doesn't really apply to me. My life is pretty good. Um, I, I hope this applies to some other people out there in the world and in the church. Uh, for me, I don't really need Psalm 10. Uh, we don't, as Christians, have the right to do that because we live in the broken world and we face the brokenness. And so all of us need to learn how to process injustice, learn how to process the reality of abuse, learn how to process mistreatment in our lives and in the lives of others. We need to know how to do it. And I want to challenge all of you. I want to suggest that our church takes Psalm 10, learns what it's about, soaks it up a little bit, puts it in your pocket, and you have it for yourself in times of need and for others. Because I guarantee you, this applies directly to some people among us right now. Let me read the whole thing to you. You can follow along with me. Psalm chapter 10. We're going to read the whole thing and then we'll... Provide a little context, and then we'll draw some application. 
Verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the greedy one, or the, and the one greedy for gain, curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he might seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you might take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let me tell you what's going on here. In verses 3, in fact, probably go back to 2. You go 2 all the way to 11. There is being described one who is uh, labeled at the very end of that section, verse, or the, verse 18, the man of the earth, the man who is of the earth. And this man characterizes the wickedness of men in the world, people in the world who exploit others to gain for themselves. In verse 2, you see these people are arrogant and they pursue the poor. In verse 3, they're people greedy for gain. And you skip down to verse 7, they're cursing. This is what they speak like. Their, their, their mouths are filled with curses. They use deception to get what they want. They are oppressive to people who are weak and helpless. In verse 8, the, the graphic imagery is, is this idea of an ambush, someone waiting and stalking. Uh, lurking are the words that are used to murder the innocent like a lion in a thicket waiting in the bush to pounce upon someone who cannot defend themselves against the poor. Verse 10 describes them as helpless, crushed, sinking down, falling by the might of the wicked man, the, the evil doer. This is what's going on. The psalmist is recognizing that people in the world are living this way, that there are people who are using whatever force they have, whatever power they have, 
to prey upon the helpless, the weak, then the people who cannot defend themselves. Uh, this, is, this is happening in the world. This is happening in our world. It was happening in the world that the psalmist wrote in. It's happening in Je- it happened in Jesus' day. It happens today, and it will continue to happen until the Lord uh, sets up his kingdom. This is our world. It is an unjust, wicked world filled with people who want to use whatever strength and might they have to exploit the poor, uh, to oppress the innocent, to gain from them, to take from them that which they cannot defend. That's the world we live in. As much as we can turn ourselves off to that, and even sometimes we want to turn ourselves off to that, the psalmist just shoves it in our face and he's saying, this exists. This is happening. You say, why does this happen? You can go back to to verse 4 where it describes really what's going on in the heart and the mind of this wicked man. In verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. That is, he does not seek God. He has no concern for the God who made him, no concern for the God who upholds the universe. In fact, further in verse 4, all his thoughts are, there is no God. Every thought that this guy has, every thought that the wicked doer has, is rooted in this fundamental idea that there is no God. God does not exist. God will not hold me into account. In fact, look at verse 5. His ways prosper at all times. That is to say that the one who's doing this evil often looks like he is prospering and often does from merely an earthly perspective. He does prosper. And he goes on to say, your judgments are on high out of his sight. And that is to say that the wicked man has no concern for God's judgments. No concern for God's evaluations. God's judgments are so high up, high in the sky, that the wicked man doesn't even consider them. Uh, And so what's, what's meant to be is that the existence of God and the existence of his judgments and his promise to hold evildoers to account for their sin, that's meant to be a deterrent for evil. But what happens when you become an atheist, you declare there is no God, you have no fear of him, you have no fear of judgment, you cast the judgments of God out of your sight so high and lift it up that you have no concern. Well, there goes your deterrent. The dam breaks open and here comes a flood of wickedness. And so all injustice that spills out into the world is the result of people who have no concern about God. It's fundamentally a spiritual issue. As people have no concern about their sin before a holy God, and so they're willing to do whatever they can to gain while they're here on earth. The atheistic worldview, when it prevails, leads open the option of living in such a way that you care not about the afterlife. All you care about is gaining what you can gain in this world. And if that's how you live, you end up oppressing those, hurting those, exploiting those that you can in order to gain what you can while you die and turn back into dust. And so that's what's going on here. The psalmist is totally aware of this reality in the world, and it's so grieving him. It's so hurting him that he takes pen to paper and he composes this psalm. Now, now not only is all this happening and he's aware of it and he's watching and it's just breaking his heart. 
put on top of it something worse. Look at verse 1. There's the sense that God's not doing anything about it. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist is seeing, he's seeing all this oppression and injustice and sin, and he's going, God, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Why don't you intervene? Your people are being oppressed, God. Why don't you do something? Why are you standing far away? Why are you hiding yourself? There's times of trouble. If you were a good God, wouldn't you swoop in and protect us? I don't want this to remain something that happened in ancient Israel because this kind of world that we're reading about is the kind of world that we live in, and it's the kind of world that I'm sure some of you have faced. Maybe it was a heartless boss. Maybe it was someone you considered a friend before they backstabbed you. Maybe you didn't even know who it was. It was a thief. It was a burglar. It was someone who tried to take advantage of you or your family. Maybe it was a family member that you trusted. I don't know who it was, but the world is filled with people who this psalm describes perfectly. They have essentially, even if with their words they believe in God, with their lives they have renounced Him, and so they live for themselves. In their greed, they pursue whatever they can get, even if it means stomping on people along the way. And so maybe it's you that's been violated. Maybe it was you or someone close to you that's been abused. Maybe it was you or someone close to you that was deceived. Maybe it was violence. Maybe it was manipulation, coercion. Maybe you have felt like the person, and it's described in Psalm 8, like someone's lurking, like someone's in ambush waiting for you. You you have no peace in your heart. There's an unsettledness because you know that there are wicked people who who have it out for you. They're going to seize you. You feel crushed. You feel vulnerable. Maybe like even in the psalmist, or what the psalmist describes, maybe you feel God is far away. I mean, what what, what kind of just makes it all the more worse is that not only are you feeling God's far away, you you look around and see what's going on. It seems like the wicked are actually prospering. The the one who's abusing you or has hurt you, it seems like they've gotten away with it. Uh, It seems like they've You made it through, and and there's no one watching. There's no one to hold them to account. Maybe that's you. I mean, that's what was happening here. Look at verse 5. His ways prosper at all times. I mean, the psalmist is looking at the abuser, and he's going, he's prospering. He's gotten away with it. Verse 6. Look at what the wicked man says in verse 6. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. He is confident that he will not be held to account, that he will stand firm, and that God has forgotten him. In fact, look down at verse 11, the wicked man, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. I think sometimes one of the hardest things for someone who's been hurt, mistreated, oppressed, abused, One of the hardest things is looking at the abuser, looking at the oppressor, and seeing them go free. 
and feeling that no one knows what happened to me and this person's going on with life just as if it's normal. And God's not even holding them to account. Their life is much better than mine. Here I am suffering and they are enjoying life and, and they were in the wrong and I was innocent and look, they're just getting away with it. I mean, that can be devastating, right? How do you, how do you deal with this? These kinds of situations are the kinds that get people cynical. If you don't know how to process it, it's the kind of situation that if you don't process it biblically, you grow bitter. You get this resentment that kind of festers in your heart. You can even turn that bitterness toward God, and you can say, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why have you shut your eyes to my issues? Why are you letting him get away? And if that is not dealt with properly, that turns into a disease of the heart that will destroy your Christian life, your joy, your usefulness, because you'll turn into a person that is bitter and cold, frigid, unable to feel the warmth of joy in understanding the loving fatherly care that God has given us. How do we do this? How do we process this? Now, if this has happened to you, how are you going to process what has happened to you? When the, when the enemy has gone free and you're sitting here in the wreckage of what's been left over, how are you going to process this? Because that's what the psalmist had to do. And, and then how are you going to help your friend process this? Who has gone through something like this? Psalm 10 is going to be something you need. And I'm going to draw out four, four things we need to call to mind, four, four things we need to bring to mind. If you're helping someone, if someone is sitting across your dinner table and they're telling you some horrific story of abuse or mistreatment, and you're sitting there listening and you're going, I, I don't know how to, to help, let me tell you, pull out Psalm 10. And, and there's some truths you need to remember that are embedded right here in this psalm, and I want to point them out to you. First, remember this. Remember God sees. Remember God sees. Look at verse 13. Why, he, he's asking the question, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? Again, it seems like he's getting away with it and God's not doing anything about it. Why is he able to do this? But he corrects his thinking. He brings it back to what's true. Look at verse 14. But, here's a corrective thought. Here's, here's something you need to remember. But, you do see. See that? You do see, God, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. You say to the oppressed, you say to the one who's been abused, you say, listen, remember this. This is going to help you. You say this, God has seen. He wasn't closing his eyes. He wasn't asleep on the job. He didn't leave and forget about you. He sees. Look at the, the word even there. It creates an imagery. You note mischief. You almost can imagine God with his big pad of yellow paper and his pen. And up in heaven, he is seeing everything. And he's jotting every last bit of injustice that's being done to his people. He's noting it all. Every little bit of it. 
God is seeing it. He's noting it. He is marking it. He's writing it down. Why? So that he may take it into his hands. He is not passive. He is there. You note it. It is imagery. He's jotting it down. All mischief, all injustice, all oppression is getting written down in heaven's notebook. And God is going to hold these people to account. As some of you um, have those ring doorbells. Have you got those? You got that installed in your house? Well, what do those things do? You, you, can, you can actually see through the video, you can actually get the app on your phone and your ring ha- doorbell has a video stream and you can see what's going on in your house. In fact, uh, last night, uh, we have the, these things installed at our church and we saw someone snooping around our property and we're able to call uh, the, the law enforcement to come in and just make sure all is well. Uh, we were able to see. The problem is, is with this technology, even though we can see, we, we can't identify who the person is. We can't always do anything about it. Sometimes we just see people come in and use our parking lot and leave, and, and there's a graininess to it. But what seeing does is it does deter criminals, right? Uh, if a criminal comes to a place and recognizes everything he's doing is being recorded, he's probably going to stop. He's going to do something else. He's maybe going to go to a house that has no video stream recording his every move. Listen to this. God sees everything. And not in the grainy thing that we see on our streaming feed from the doorbell app. We know that God sees everything. No one gets away with anything. All the time, no matter where people are, no matter what injustice it is, every act, every thought, every motive is being marked down by God and he sees. So if you're the abused, the oppressed, the exploited, you need to hear this. You have not gone off the grid and God didn't see what happened. He sees, he saw, he knows, he understands. Secondly, let's call this to mind. God rules. It would be one thing to know that God sees, but if you sat there and he goes, he sees, but he's not doing anything about it. He doesn't care about it. He has no authority over it. uh, That would be disheartening. The reality is that not only does God see, he rules as king over all that is happening. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is king forever and ever. I like how he uses the present tense. You see that? He is king. In the midst of the injustice, he is king. In the midst of the abuse and the oppression, he is king. He does not get off the throne. He does not give up his crown or his scepter. He is seeing it all. He is ruling and reigning over it, and he has a plan to make all things right again. The nations, that is, The wicked nations of the world who have rejected God, they will perish from God's land. Do you think that the wickedness and injustice of the world is proof or evidence that God no longer reigns? Has your hard time and your own mistreatment caused you to think that maybe God was not on the throne in those moments? God was not sovereign when that happened? That that happened on accident? Now, part of the comfort that the psalmist brings is this, that God is king. God is reigning. 
God rules forever. That in the moment of your need, God is not distant. He is right there, king forever and ever, and he will bring justice. Uh, there's a problem when we forget about the good rule of God, isn't there? Uh, think of all the problems that come up when we forget that God is a good king and he rules over his world and he particularly rules to protect his people. Uh, just as an illustration of this, when we were um, in, up in Mammoth this last week, there was one particular hike we went on and it was a little longer than we expected. And we ended up finally getting to the place where we had uh, decided to go and no one wanted to hike back. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those you hike in, hike back, and we hiked in, and we really liked hiking in, and nobody wanted to hike back. And so what we decided is, I'm going to go the long way. I'll hike all the way back to our car, and, and Ashley and the kids will go a, a short little hike back to some water, and they can rest a little bit. Now I, as the dad, thinking, I'm doing a really good thing. I'm going to sacrifice for my family. I'm going to do the long trek back. And as soon as I left, according to Ashley, things broke down. Dirty diapers, running out of water. No one wants to walk anymore, dragging the kids along. And here I am just hiking on back, everything's fine, and, and totally unaware of the fact that Ashley's having a difficult time corralling everyone to make it back to safety. Uh, one of the things she told me that it's like as soon as the, 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 the father leaves, the father figure leaves, the, the, the figure of protection leaves, it just becomes harder to go through difficulty. It became harder to make the hike and, and face the, the, the hike without the water. There's a little more fear. How much more so is that reality when we are facing difficulty and we forget our heavenly father? We forget him or we feel like he's abandoned us? See, one of the things we remember in the midst of difficulty is God is king. He still is ruling. He still is here. He still reigns for my good and all things will be done well. Here's our third thing that we call to mind. First, we are remembering that he sees. Second, we are remembering that he rules. Third, we are remembering that he hears. Look at verse 17. Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, you hear the desire of the afflicted. How can you hear a desire? God can. Before your words ever exit your mouth, God is hearing your desire. He is a God who is heard you. You can be so broken that you might not even have the words, but God hears your desire. He hears the desire of the afflicted. Have you been afflicted and had desires to match the affliction? Well, listen, God has heard your desires. It says here, you, he cries out, God, you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Why? That's the kind of God he is. He is drawn to the weak. He draws near to the helpless. He loves to show himself to be strong to those people who have no strength. He will be your strength. He will strengthen your heart. He's saying you'll incline your ear. God, you will incline your ear. That's like describing God as leaning in to ensure that he hears your every word. He wants you to know he hears. Have you been hurt, mistreated, abused? Listen, cry out to God because he hears. He really hears. It's not some sentimental thing to slap on a coffee mug and, and just you know forget about the actual profundity of the thing. God Almighty, who is king of all, hears you, individual. 
and your desires and your pains and your agonies, you must come to God if you're in pain, if you're hurting. In fact, look at what the psalmist is praying. Verse 2. I love this. He is totally raw and honest. Verse 2. Let them be caught up in their schemes that they have devised. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. Can you imagine the God who created the universe, who oversees it, rising up in response to the plea of his beloved child? Oh, that's what our king does. He rises up and says, what? One of my children is being mistreated, I see it, I reign over it, and I hear you, son, I hear you, daughter. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked. You ever prayed for someone's arm to be broken? If you have, and it's someone here this morning, don't admit it. Uh, If you're praying for people's arms to be broken that are in your family, you might have something to confess. Um, But this is a completely legitimate prayer. When the wicked doer is, is doing their wickedness and their evil and their exploitation and nothing's slowing them down is a completely legitimate prayer to say, stop them by whatever means necessary. Break their arm to stop them. Shut them down. Bring this wickedness into account till you find none, verse 15. He is longing for justice. That's the way he prays. Friends, if you have been mistreated, or you are around people who have been oppressed and hurt and abused and exploited, listen, you have the right to call out to the King of Kings who hears you, and he will rise up in response. It is okay for you. Listen, it is good of you to have a righteous indignation against this sin. There's a kind of faux godliness that never gets angry, and it's not true godliness Psalm 7, verse 11, God says, I am angry every single day at the wicked. You want to be more godly? Maybe be a little more angry. With righteous anger at the injustice and oppression in the world. And how do you know your righteous or your anger is righteous? It turns into prayer and calling out to God to act. God hears, so pray. Lastly, remember that God acts. It's not that prayer is merely something you do to feel better about your situation. Prayer actually enlists the hand of God in your cause for justice. Verse 18, to do, that is an active word, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God will rise up in due time, and do justice to the wicked man who strikes terror. He will. This is what he has promised to do. And even though it might look like he is getting away with it, he will be held to account. And listen, if you have been mistreated and oppressed and abused, what do you do? You go, God is seeing, God rules, and God will hear my prayers. And then you take comfort in this reality. He will set things right. He absolutely will bring justice to the oppressed. He most certainly will strike down the man of the earth who is terrorizing his people. He will. 
And that time might not come on your timetable, but he will. God will act. God will act. He comforts. He will act to, excuse me. He will comfort the brokenhearted. He will stop the terror of the wicked. And this hints at the promise of that kingdom that we wait for, right? Where all wickedness and terror and sin and abuse and mistreatment are eradicated from the earth and the people of God are welcome in to shine like the sun with the Son of God forever and ever in the perfect and beautiful new heavens and new earth. God will make justice rule in the land. And so what do you do when you're oppressed or you're trying to help someone? You say, God is seeing it all. God is ruling over it all. God is hearing your prayers, so pray, pray, pray. Why would you not pray and call upon God to arise and do something? And then take comfort in this. God will act. It's not God might act. God will do justice. And the one who thought he was getting away with it will get away with it no more.